0: going to pray together we do not take a moment to settle our hearts and minds and once more to prepare to engage in worship thank you for these great words that remind us Lord Jesus that you are triumphant, sovereign and victorious and once more in our singing and in our meeting together and soon as we will engage heart and mind at your table we remind ourselves of your of the depths of your love of your constant steadfast covenant love and that in contrast to our half-hearted discipleship we do ask that you will forgive us for putting our self-interest before your kingdom for somehow putting your Lordship at the back of our minds and we preoccupy ourselves with lesser things. Lord, you called us to carry a cross. We are sorry for complaining when it has weighed heavily upon us. Forgive us when we are called to serve that we have contracted out of serving. You have given so much and we seem to return so little. And yet you who have begun a good work in our lives will bring it to completion and for that we are thankful. And although we have cause to lament the impoverishment of our service oftentimes your Generosity and goodness is so constant and reliable, and we are thankful. And we pray tonight for those who are not able to be with us. We commend them to you. Help them to know this is the day that you have made. And once more, we can rejoice and be glad. So we thank you for the togetherness of your people and we pray that something said, prayed this night will reaffirm within us that we are your people we are the sheep of your pasture and you are the good shepherd so help us to worship you in spirit and in truth for Jesus' sake. Amen.
1: The reading this evening is Revelation chapter 15 to 16 verse 7. Revelation chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God, and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened, Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments.
0: We've been uh, blessed as a church having translators, witness people with us and Philip Hewer, sort of, can you come up a minute, Philip? I uh, was asking Philip how he's getting on with the Captain. Um, um, how, how far are you on? Just to give us an idea.
2: Well we actually, just several weeks ago, we got Revelation sent back to the uh you said that's the best thing to do with Revelation. I know, I did. That's I did yes. um, yes. But I so that was the last book we had to read through and check. So I'm now waiting to see what comes next. Right. Um, the, the glossary and maps to check and look at, but basically the whole, all the books of the Bible have now been, we've gone through them, checked them made a few little corrections, sent them back and they're ready to go to the printers. Right? So
0: you've gone through every word? Not uh, one
2: off. time or another, yes. yes.
0: That's amazing, <laughs> yes.
2: isn't it? Yes. That is incredible. But it's nice to look back on. Yes.
0: And just in just case some people don't know, how long has that taken you?
2: Well, I, I mean, it's been spread over 41 years. but mm-hmm. uh, amazing. Not, yes, I mean, there's been an awful lot of other things in that time, but, uh, yes, since we've First went to live amongst the Ksenna people that was in
0: 1972. Goodness not amazing think of all the work and the thought now are you going to bamboozle us with this uh, thing that you have you sure Well when, when, and, you when uh, yeah.
2: Jeff was talking about uh, yeah, uh, Revelation and I was saying well actually in Revelation we found a lot of the words we were using were actually somewhat different than what had been used in the rest of it. so at that point we were working on the New Testament um, and one of the things that Jeff has said is that Revelation doesn't basically give us new information, it stretches our imagination. And um, the language is very vivid. Um, just sort of going back to a couple of verses that we had in, in chapter 4, where he says, um, I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and a rainbow, resembling an emerald, encircled the throne and surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones and seated on them were twenty-four elders and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and there were seven lamps blazing, which are the seven spirits of God and before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, uh, clear as crystal. And we found that to express some of these really sort of vivid, you know, it really sort of boggles your mind almost just to think about all, all those different colours and vibrations and burnings and things, we found we were using what uh, are called idiophones, a lot of idiophones in, in Uh These are words, we have some in English mostly for sounds, sort of like patter or splash that sort of sound the word sounds like the sound but these Catholic use them for colours and textures and all sorts of things so uh, a little bit of one of those verses uh, sounds like this um, this is the one who was sitting there so this means bright shining dazzling and the, and the means a, a deep red um, ah, so you can see sort of how this pili-pili and chwa chwat sort of somehow draws you in and, and makes you think of all the what well, it does for me anyway. and then later like, on so it says, uh, um, and these are these these are the seven blazing torches in front of the chieftaincy stool. Is what they used for a throne, and they were standing there burning, balum balum, uh, sort of this sort of blazing brightness. So, so you can see how, you know, we found in Revelation these, these were sort of just captured people's imagination. Saying, yeah, you know, that's really, that's really good. And one of the things in Kathem, uh, for the colors and the sort of range of colors that you get, um, like many African languages, Kathem only has three color words, three basic color words. Every color is either red or black or white. I mean, that covers the whole spectrum so like here you've got it's red, chwe chwe. so you can use these videophones to to make more specific the, the colours um, rather than just saying it was red which could mean this red or you know that red or any kind of red but red because course they chwe, really that particular kind of deep uh, red so you can see how that um, captures it and. Uh, yeah, this helps the flower imagination, which uh, is, is, is sort of a visual feast, but captured in, in words, and sort of it draws you in. So, there you are. There you are. Good, Philip, thank, thank,
0: thank, thank you. I thought if you kept going, I could have stayed <laughs> quite happily. Believe me, after what I've got to do tonight, I would be happy to... I think we could sing that song because it does bring the lion and the lamb and I, the group have practiced and I've just thrown it to them as a challenge Um, but look, with this song it's just an introduction to now the, the sermon we're actually looking out at each other there's a horizontal and a vertical where we sing yes, how great is our God sing with me how great is our God the lion and the lamb the splendor of the king please stand as we sing this thank you the book of Revelation, as indeed in a different culture, in a Ghanaian culture or any other, is a wonderful, glorious piece of Biblical literature. And if we were to start this again I'd be almost tempted to say that we should structure the service differently so that we can almost read it out loud and allow just not so much for a sermon to break it up there's no other way that we can and to allow that to just impact us it's a powerful piece of literature that pulls us up short it's brilliant it's complex in its structure and it makes certain presuppositions at least two the first is it's used of this contemporary apocalyptic imagery, don't forget it, 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 John is in exile under the Roman Empire, and it's coded language. But the second thing about it is this it makes an abundant allusion to the Old Testament. and you can and if you know the Old Testament, you can make the connection much easier. I hope you did that when Elizabeth read to us uh, from chapter fifteen because it's a flashback, and don't forget, we try to say, we're looking at a parallel interpretation. It was then, and it is now. And this is almost a repeat of the judgment of God, as the people are under the yoke of Pharaoh in Egypt, under a series of slaves. It's a demonstration of the glory of God. And it's interesting in terms of singing, When you think about people through the centuries who've been oppressed, that they've used that imagery of a people under slavery, under bondage, let my people go, particularly the African Americans uh, under slavery. I don't know if you've seen the film I haven't. Twelve years a slave, you see them chanting and singing and identifying with the people that are oppressed. And it makes me think, here we are tonight and... I am as well and and without comfort the lack of oppression persecution yes the church is mildly marginalized it's a minor inconvenience but we know nothing of the people here who are under the yoke of persecution where to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is a death sentence not light years away from how we live interesting with this book of Revelation as well the type of, um, apoc- apocalyptic language. There is no, if you like, chronological order in the way that you have with, if you like, the deducted, the instructed letters that Paul gives. They are progressive. It seems like that. Yet the richness, as Philip has beautifully illustrated to us, and different cultures at different times have taken up some of these themes and reveled and rejoiced in it. And I hope that we do. Well, this is incredible, really. We're looking at chapters 15 to 19. I apologize for that. Even even at the elders' meeting, they were slightly complaining that uh, that's impossible. And rightly so. But if at the end of this series it just left us with some impression, then that would be uh, time well spent what you have and what we will, will, will see perhaps not tonight but certainly in the last, next Sunday the final part of our series is heavenly rejoicing after the fall of Babylon who is called the great harlot or the great prostitute and God being vindicated and of course Babylon symbolizing all that is against the cause of his kingdom so what do we do Well, what we need to remind ourselves, and these are just brief overviews now, is this, that this book, once you sit down and read it, you'll see it's replete with symbols. Now, part of perhaps the we, the, we the reformation the Protestant purge as some people call it we've done away with lots of symbols perhaps rightly so because they got in the way and we say now we look at God's word but God's word brings us symbols and symbols are meaning interesting as well is this Hebrew what's called numerology I'm sorry I don't want to use technical terms because it's not terribly helpful like here let's look at a few ok Twelve. Twelve is the number of completeness. And you may well ask, why didn't Jesus choose a baker's dozen? Why didn't he have thirteen disciples or eleven? He chose twelve. And even when one fell, by the way, he got another one, made it up to twelve. It's this picture of completeness. And then uh, one thousand is the number signifying infinity. Seven, as you know, is the perfect number, while six which aspires to be perfect will always fall short and there's a great deal of literature some of you may have flashbacks to childhood days like I did that the 666 is very sinister an up-description of the false messiah the beast who constantly seeks to substitute the messiah and always fails And we've discussed, or have not discussed so much as thought, about um, the 144,000. Now that's another symbol. And as you know, and we've commented about uh, certain folk who've made a great deal of this, but really it is symbolic of the church. That company of people that no man can number. A huge, final, complete group that only the Lord himself knows like the great multitude no one can count of every nation tribe and people and language and that lovely echo from Ghana and it's quite humbling really that uh, Philip and Judy have not produced such a good translation with, with a team Douglas. it gives hope for the church that is flourishing in many parts of the world even if in the west it's not so there's also an encouraging message for the church because the church will endure the church will survive it will flourish and we will reign with our Messiah the Lamb has been slain and the symbol of weakness is now the symbol of power absolute power With man leads to corruption. Absolute power with God leads to perfection. And he knows how to handle power. And they will sing a song that is known only to the redeemed, those who are faithful. Now if you go back, this idea of the mark of the beast, for instance, and where is the parallel? Well think of the children of, of Israel under the yoke of Pharaoh. And eventually that last great sign, the the, the, the blood on the on the lintel and the doorpost the sign of the lamb. There it is. And and that's unfolding and developing all the time. So the sign of the Lamb, those who have it, will find that the angel of death will pass over. Pass over. Those who don't have it will experience the angel of death. And you get these symbols that some of us perhaps, you know, when it's like a jigsaw puzzle, if you like, and they say they don't fit. Just, and they're miss- the pieces are missing, and you can't make sense of it revelation can tease us out like that It says no be patient keep trying they will fit nothing missing keep at it and so we see this beautiful poignant art of music that sometimes with us, we have in our reading with a dark background of judgment comes the sweet song of the redeemed think of Holocaust survivors. That haunting music of Schindler's List, if you sat down sometimes, deeply moving. You, you, you don't just sit down and write that. You think, how can millions of people suffer in the gas chambers like that? And out of it has come music with chaos and passion. And we mentioned that The Africans who suffered. And the oppressed in Eastern Europe. Whatever you think of the the, the Russian Orthodox Church, the the singing, the chanting that has has quality and conviction. And and the backdrop is totalitarian religion. Now we know little about that. We don't just sit down and write nice songs. And do you remember Paul and Philip? Come to the New Testament. The box beaten and there they're in the stocks. What a time to sing. But it's no accident, is it? It's no accident. At midnight, praying and singing hymns to God. I wonder whether we could do that. So that's what breaks through in Revelation, this idea of a new song. The song of the Redeemer. Let's try to do a few symbols and uh, not to explain a few. Uh, the reading in Revelation 15, to 8, for example. Let's just look very quickly. Fire. Fire symbolizes the eradication of evil. <clears throat> Oftentimes when you're fired it has a purging effect. Uh, I had a garden fire last night. I know townies think you shouldn 't have a fire, but you know you've got all these cuttings and stuff, and the best thing to do is just burn it and then recycle the ashes. I think it's good for the environment, but this morning I got a poke and sternum, it came into a flame, and uh, so on, so this idea of fire that purges and the sea of glass that symbolizes tranquility there's something quite beautiful about. Glassy sea, the tranquility and the saints that have endured, and the the tranquility as they sing. And all these sort of symbols resonate with us. I wonder if our worship would have perhaps. a deeper quality I'm not for one moment advocating that we should experience persecution I don't particularly want that but one of the things that comes out of that is a depth and a quality that often times the comfortable rest can lack where we think well what's in it for me did I enjoy that rather than this is for God does he enjoy it and singing to him how great is our God. Sing with me. The lion and the lamb. And so forth. It's interesting, isn't it, that during the, 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 the building of this the reconstruction of the church here, there were miles, niggles, and so on, but nothing much. Some sarcastic comments here and there. Some man came up to me once and said, What's that monstrosity you're building? Well, I said, Come and see. you Yes. That's just a mere flea bite in contrast to the the striving and the challenge that the church in many parts of the world are going through tonight. A song without suffering can sometimes be very superficial. A song can lack depth and conviction to people who are lovers of comfort. Maybe I'm guilty of that as well so revelation what can we say these plagues are parallel to the plagues in Egypt the context of revelation is that the lamb will prevail God will deliver his people and judgment is inevitable so what you have the best illustration is parallel lines judgment salvation. If you've looked at a railway, a railway when it stretches almost into infinity, it seems as if they meet. Some people have seen that as an illustration of uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Yes, God elects us, but we must choose. And somehow he says, yes, when they go in line they seem to meet, but actually they never do meet. And God's judgment and salvation seem to meet, but they never do meet. They're parallel lines, and these run through Revelation to a great crescendo in the worship in heaven. Look at the judgment in uh, chapter sixteen and verse two: the, the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores on the people who had the mark of the beast or negatively who didn't have the mark of the lamb and worshipped his image and you made choices and all choices have consequences always Uh, This is a great little book and I know most of you, many of you have bought it and I've not noticed, you know, the cover, the painting, as you probably will have noticed, of the the Rwanda genocide. And uh, here is, you know, a survivor holding his hands up to the Bible and giving comfort from that astonishing um, expression of um, man's inhumanity to man. to call the great genocide. in page 54 I want to read just a, a, a quote from it what do we understand then by the reference to the Armageddon let me I think this says it much better than you, so I'll just read it to you. You, you if you have it you've probably already read it the battle of Armageddon like the number 666 the battle of Armageddon has become a subject of popular curiosity and speculation However, we must never forget that John is writing of a vision. We need, not, we, we, we need not imagine that at some stage in the future all the armies of the world will set out with their guns and tanks and rockets either to attack heaven or Jerusalem. Our people still believe that. The notion of these armies will one day gather in Israel has led to many fanciful speculations in the past, some of which were clearly wrong because they didn't happen. Some people have seen the Book of Revelation as, if you like, um, an opportunity to predict. It's, uh, you know, to say... That's going to happen, and the predictions have withered on the vine, and it created people to become disillusioned. One of the things about talking to Jehovah Witnesses, which you, you, I would say to them, without being unkind or rude, look, the history of your movement is, is shot through with predictions that haven't taken place. Are you aware of that? But then. If they knew the history of evangelical victory, and that's the same with you too. If they knew, most of them don't. So, this Armageddon is is much more to do with something that is spiritual than military. It's rebellion against God, and its roots are in the passage, you know, in Psalm 2, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed that's the quotation from Psalm 2, which, interestingly, is quoted in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, as pointing to the power of the gospel, rather than some apocalyptic event. That's the way, so in other words, you know, if, you, if you, you're, a, you're a Christian, you've got the Bible, what is your task? Your task is to teach what the Bible teaches. Oh, that's okay. But it's also to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. Now, I often said this. The Bible doesn't emphasize wearing a hat. Actually, there isn't anybody wearing a hat here tonight. In my day, that seemed to be one of the most important things. To go to a church with that hat was a shame beyond words. Not an issue now. Unrecognizable. But the Bible didn't emphasize wearing hats. It's purely a symbol or take washing of disciples' feet. There's a group not far from you, of the community of the washing of feet. No, yes, the Bible teaches us, it doesn't emphasize that. Or sleeping in tongues, it teaches us, doesn't emphasize that. So what it does emphasize is the gospel. And when Peter, filled with the Spirit, Under persecution, he quotes this Psalm 2, verse 2, and applies it to the gospel, not some great Armageddon event. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's what we need to do, to hold the Bible with integrity, yet teach what it teaches, emphasize what it emphasizes, and throughout the emphasis, beyond question, is on the gospel. So let's have a look at a few words very quickly, and then we'll round this off. Babylon, what is it? Oh yes, it's one of the great ten wonders of of the world in the past. No, but what is it in Revelation? Babylon is the essence of hostility to Jesus Christ. The spirit of Babylon. And you get that uh, reference there to the the great harlot. Not very nice, is it? So it, it represents idolatry. And it's a symbol of worldly power. That's Babylon. That's what it is in the book of Revelation. So, Amageddon, what is it? It's the final day of judgment. It's what the theologians call it, It's eschatology. It's the end. So, we should be careful when we start making predictions. It's not very helpful. The, the book of Revelation is not a crystal ball. Some people have used it like that. And it's very unhelpful. Babylon, Amageddon, and Apocalypse. If you Google, as I did, Apocalypse, you will get films, mainly from America, and they have nothing at all to do with Revelation. It's a sort of a witch hunt, you know, on um, how cataclysmic events are going to take place. But what is the Apocalypse? Well, it's Revelation. It's an unveiling. It's an unveiling. And it's delivered to us with a degree of ambiguity, I agree, and nevertheless, through vision, dreams, and symbols. And that's why I think, really, that if we were to do this again, and we're not, so you will be glad to know that, we, we should sort of take turns to come together and say, OK, we'll read it in two sessions, and then break up and ask, No, how does that apply to us? So we're going to have two questions, and then I'm finished. Okay, um, nearly finished. I promise you we're not going to. Just... The first question, Becky, can we have this, please? Right. Have a look at that. Uh, so, the reference to Armageddon, okay, there it is in Revelation 16:6 to21, is not literal, so I suggest it to you, but symbolizes the final battle between the lamb and the dragon between Christ and the Antichrist. Okay. I think it would be important now very quickly to break up into two groups or three or four groups rather and just two minutes. Could you just stop even if you try to ask yourself well what are your thoughts? And if you haven't got any it's okay. Okay. Can you do that? Two or three minutes. Uh, Any any comments Okay, quick. Uh, I think we should come over here. At, right, because you're still shopping. Chris. Well. Hold on. A, there are two views in this group. Only two? Yes. <laughs> yes. But actually, some of us feel that this could actually be how it will turn out. And why not? Others right. feel that it could be just actually a visionary interpretation. So we're suspended between the two. I right. Right. we think the former. <laughs> you, it, right. Okay. Think it right. Now, I, I think my take on it is that this is John writing to the Christians of that time, telling them, you know, it, in the way that someone might do today, is like this is an amazing, going to be an amazing football match, but at the end we're on the winning side. So he's trying to encourage them at the time of that, he says, you know, an amazing goal at the end, right. Jesus, the top striker wins. Thanks for yeah. the final goal. This, uh, it's that sort of analogy. Yeah. Thank, yeah. You, thank you, thank you. You're both saying the same thing in a different way. I think that's very that's revelation. Uh, any other suggestions? Very quickly. You don't have to, but have you got any comments? Um, no. Elizabeth, you're not looking at me, are you? No. You're trying not. I don't. I don't blame you. Okay. Let's, let's have the second question up, please. Second question. Stay where you are. Let's have a look at this. This is a bit of a longer question. Um, can you just re- uh, read that and try to come up with... You've just got a minute and a half, Can then we'll finish off. Okay? I'll read it out to you. In contrast to the silence of burnt-out Babylon... John now hears an overwhelming sound in heaven. Revelation nineteen, one to ten. Five times, hallelujah. That is, praise the Lord is repeated. As in the Psalms, hallelujah never stands alone. This is an important point. Always some reasons are added to explain why we should praise the Lord. What reasons are given here? You need a quick look. Quickly. This is easier. can we, we start this side this time any reasons God's righteous judgment God's righteous ju- I'll repeat it God's righteous judgment God reigns, God reigns. keep moving Barthi you're not touching my eye are you no I wasn't sure uh, any other yes exactly the great marriage the wedding of the lamb yes Salvation and glory and power belong to God, and we're safe in his hands. You see what it's doing? It's giving, giving us a reason for this crescendo of hallelujah, hallelujah. It's not just vain repetition. Um, for example, if you were to think of the Psalms say Psalm 103 bless the Lord O my soul and forget not who heals his diseases crowns you with love and kindness and tender mercy and such so that your youth is renewed like evil you're giving reasons for praise we're not like Hare Krishna people just going around randomly repeating things there's a purpose for that and that's the great build up and at least next uh, uh, Sunday will be much easier um, for, for us as we think about um, this uh, chapter it's a bit like last week uh, I met with the financial advisor and I came to the conclusion about um, draw income drawdown annuities pensions that I said to him the devil's in the detail isn't it it always is and whilst there's a lot of detail here God is in the detail and he will have the last word that's for sure and we can be confident that he has triumphed and when you look at Revelation 19 it comes through with a sense of certainty there is no uncertainty here the outcome of the battle between good and evil the verdict was decided 2,000 years ago on that hill of Golgotha when Jesus said past, present and future it's finished it's finished the battle belongs to the Lord the Lamb wins and whatever you take from Revelation be sure that you take that so that we can apply that in our worship, in our work, in our lives the Lamb wins that's the theme. Well, we're going to sing, I think, yes, um, of the triumph of the cross as we think of the climax to Revelation as it will be next uh, Sunday. And I keep thinking about Handel's Messiah as well, that wonderful oratorio. And in a way, Revelation is a bit like that, it's like a great musical composition and it's got variations on the same theme and it seems repetitive but it isn't it and it's building up to a great climax and um, we're part of that Lord we thank you for this brief time around the table of the King and we thank you that we see not only the symbol but the Saviour as well we not only are humbled by these signs but we are driven once more back to our Lord Jesus so we thank you and now we take just a moment to pray for those who are not here tonight and in that covenant of prayer we commend our loved ones to you we thank you for them and the whole of our lives the relationships that we have with all of its variety we pray that you'll help us to be all that Jesus would be wherever you place us to do what he would do and to say what he would say So that's a tall order, we know. And yet, you can use us. Despite ourselves, that's true. And yet, you can use us. And we thank you and we're humbled. And we pray for your church throughout the world, many places, harassed and harrowed by conflict and persecution and injustice. And yet we see your church flourishing in the most arid places. Thank you that you continue to build your church. And the powers of darkness have not prevailed against it. So would you help us. As once more for one more week we are resolved to follow you and to serve you. Give us grace to that end we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So may we share in the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be
1: with us all evermore.